We're continuing in our series in the book of Acts. If you would, open to Acts chapter 10. We're looking at the early church, those first followers of Jesus, and we're learning from the first followers of Jesus, what does it mean to be disciples who are making disciples? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it look like? The title of the message this morning is No Favorites or Boundaries. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the privilege it is to gather this morning around your word. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you guide, that you would bring clarity, that you would help us to engage with everything in us, that we would see that this is for us, that you've given it to us. Help us to run with it. Help us to, Lord, um, be ministered to by it, to apply it, to think through it, to receive it from your hand. God, we love you and we thank you for your word. Amen. Well, Acts chapter 10, it gives us a front row seat to this huge moment in church history. It's a time when God makes clear that any ethnic, any cultural or geographical divide previously set up has been torn down in Christ Jesus. Now, Peter is given an unexpected opportunity to speak of Jesus to a man who is in every way on the outside looking in. He is divided by ethnicity and culture, or so he thinks. Now, what preconceived bias does God just crush in Peter's heart? And then what does Peter go on to say about Jesus? That's what we're looking at today. We want to start with some important backstory. Look with me. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion who was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. Of course he did. What is it, Lord? What is it, Master? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance or he saw a vision. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Times And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. 
While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So go up and go down and go downstairs. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, oh, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is uh, respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, a non-Jew. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor and sent to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. We'll stop there. That is important backstory. There's a lot there. Cornelius and friends couldn't be better prepared. We have an eager audience before Peter. I'm talking red carpet has been rolled out for Peter. You ever been there? You ever been given just this red carpet opportunity to speak of Jesus to someone? It's like they're just ready. They're eager. That's exactly the situation that Peter walks into. Only Peter himself had to wrestle with some of his own uh, personal bias before entering that house. So we're looking at three things this morning. First, there are no favorites. Second, no boundaries. Third, no barriers. The first, no favorites. No favorites. Peter realizes God doesn't show favoritism. We see this as Peter begins to speak. Now, what does he say? Verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message, or you have heard the message that God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. And we'll pause there. What preconceived bias is God just crushing in Peter's mind? The Lord, he didn't consider Gentiles unclean. And neither should Peter. He was also coming to grips with what was actually accomplished through the death, 
and resurrection of Jesus. What it means to be in this new covenant. Wrestling with what it looked like to embrace Christ as king. He eventually, Peter eventually acknowledges that God, God has the right to determine what's clean and what's not clean. It's a message so important for Peter that it's repeated three times. And it would be so important for the early church. They're made up of Jews who are wanting to obey the Mosaic law. But they're in this transition period where Christ came and fulfilled the law. And now they're trying to figure out what does it mean to walk out faithfully? What it means to follow Christ, the risen Messiah. The one who fulfilled the law. The one who fulfilled the the prophecies. It's an emotional experience, I'm sure, for Peter and for the church. But Peter begins with personal confession. When he arrives at the house of Cornelius, he just he begins with this personal confession. It's clearer to Peter than ever before. Near or far, Jew or non-Jew, this message of Jesus is for everyone. Now for us, 2019, we're like, come on, of course it is. But for him, I mean, this was, this was like groundbreaking, earth-shattering. I want you to hear what Peter would write later in his life. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 9. He is writing to a dispersed and persecuted church made up of both Jews and non-Jews. And he writes this later in his life. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession. Wait a minute. Those are titles given to national Israel. Those are titles given to Israel in the Old Testament. And Peter is giving these titles to Jews and non-Jews together as the church. See what's happened? He's come to understand something very important for the early church. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I want you to see what then Paul would go on to say. Turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor non-Jew, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. You are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. You're part of Abraham's family and heirs according to the promise. This is big. You're not required to be circumcised. If you don't know what that is, you can ask your mom. Ask your dad. You're not required to offer sacrifices. You're not required to observe Jewish festivals or keep Jewish dietary laws. Israel was always meant to be a light to the nations. In Genesis 12, verse 3, God spoke to Abraham, through whom the nation of Israel was born, And he said, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So what bias, what prejudice was being crushed? 
This exclusion of non-Jews was being crushed for Peter and for the early church. This door was just being broken wide open for the gospel of Jesus to go to the nations. Very important. What about us? What bias, what prejudice, what partiality is there on our part? Do we have any? Sure we do. Ones that make it hard for us to speak of Jesus to someone. Have you written certain people off as too far gone? Out of reach? What bias, what partiality does God need to crush in our hearts today? You know, prejudice is something we all struggle with. Admitting it is an important place to start. Fighting it through repentance and prayer is vital. Now, we might not struggle with that Jew-Gentile divide, but we have our own racial and cultural and social divides that can drive such a wedge that we avoid speaking of Jesus to certain people. Verse 34, Peter began to speak. Literally, he opened his mouth as one introducing something extremely important. This is no small thing. Peter spoke. I mean, he did it. He opened his mouth. And this is the most difficult part for us sometimes. When given the opportunity to speak of Jesus in a context or in a situation that we might feel a little uncomfortable, the hardest part sometimes is just getting started, just opening our mouths. But Peter was faithful to do it. He opened his mouth. Truth is, we will not speak of something we aren't passionate about. We won't speak of something that we're not convinced of. But by this time, Peter knew something was up. He, he remembered the vision. He, he's putting it together. The men coming to the door, stepping. He, he steps into this house that's just packed. I mean, wall to wall with non-Jews, Gentiles, eager, leaning in, wanting to hear what he has to say. So what does he say and how does he say it? And this is what I want us to focus on today. There's a lot that we could talk about here. I really want the, the thing that we walk away with, I want us to hide in our hearts. Yes, that God is pushing against uh, any boundaries and barriers. That's there. But what does Peter say? Now that he comes to an understanding that there are no ba- uh, favorites, there are no barriers, there are no boundaries to God's, uh, to God's mercy and love and to to inclusion in, in, in the family of God. What does Peter say? I want to learn from Peter. He has the opportunity to tell Cornelius and his, his friends whatever he wants. So what, is, what does Peter highlight? Number two, bound, no boundaries. Peter understands there are no favorites. And now we're looking at no boundaries. Peter speaks the good news of peace through Jesus across boundary lines. Across boundary lines. It's radical. Now, as you read this, I want you to try to put yourself in Cornelius' shoes. He's a Roman centurion, which means he, he, he oversaw 100 men. He served his nation. He received the accolades for doing that. He is probably upper middle class. He's most likely an older gentleman who had experienced a lot. He had seen a lot. Position, power, wealth, a citizen of Rome. But none of that filled the void in Cornelius' heart. He longed for something more. The Jews considered him a God-fearer because, well, he was exposed to the God of Israel. He wasn't a full-blown convert to Judaism, but he's leaning in and he's giving towards the synagogue. And he's, he's a seeker. He's a seeker. He's asking questions. He's being generous. He's praying. He's seeking. Maybe that's you. Maybe you can relate to Cornelius. You've been around for a while. You've, you've experienced a lot. 
Maybe you've got and you've experienced wealth or power or position or status. Maybe you haven't, but you're seeing what those things actually produce. And it doesn't fulfill. And you're seeking and you're asking questions. I'm glad you're here. Local church St. Pete must be a place where people can come and ask honest questions. Come and seek truth. Now we have this wonderful summary in verses 34 through 38. Now some would say it's actually Peter's outline for the gospel of Mark. What does Cornelius and friends need most? They need to hear about Jesus, who he is and what he did. Now, listen, there are a lot of people in our lives, there are a lot of people in this city who have heard of Jesus, but are walking around with this blurry picture in their heads of who Jesus is. We have the privilege to come alongside our friends. We have the privilege of coming alongside people that we meet, taking them by the hand and introducing them to the Jesus of the Bible. Going right to the source. Peter's doing just that. He speaks of the good news of peace through Jesus. Let's see it again. Verse 34, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing this, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus the Christ, who is Lord of all. So Peter makes clear that God is the one who took the initiative. God is the one on the move here. And, and he also makes clear that there's an important story behind the story of Jesus that we should be familiar with. Because for thousands of years, God actually worked through the nation of Israel. Now, he doesn't have any favorites, but he did set Israel aside as a very special nation and a very special people. And he's telling now Cornelius and friends this crazy good news that God sent this message of peace through Jesus to Israel for everyone. In Jesus, God has fulfilled promises in the Old Testament to bring peace or shalom. And this peace that he speaks of, it isn't simply the absence of strife between God and man, though that is present and important. It's the blessing of relationship and reconciliation. Think of that. And it's for everyone. It's not limited to Israel. He says Jesus is Lord of all. Peter goes on to speak of Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. What does Jesus Christ mean? Jesus. It's the Greek form of the Hebrew name, Yeshua, Joshua. It means Lord or Yahweh is salvation. Christ. It's not his last name. It's a title. He's the Christ. In other words, Christ means anointed by God, chosen by God. Because back in the day, kings would be put in place by being anointed with oil. The oil would run over their heads and onto their beards. And, and, and that's, they were inaugurated. They were recognized as king. Jesus is the anointed one of God, the chosen one of God, the, the rightful king, the promised one. He's the Christ. He's the long-anticipated king who would come to save and deliver his people out of slavery to sin. This is what Peter is saying. This is what we should say. This is what we are called to bring to others, that Jesus is our peace. He's our reconciliation between God and man. That Jesus is the Messiah. He's that long-awaited-for king that comes to save. And he goes on to say, you know what's happened. 
I mean, you've heard about it. Beginning in Galilee after the baptism of John. You see, John was that voice in the wilderness preparing the way for the Messiah. And then just Jesus came and he, he, he proclaimed God's power and God's kingdom and God's rule to bring forgiveness and establish righteousness and tear down barriers and set things right. Beautiful message. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit, Peter goes on to say in verse 38. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. God made clear how his Messiah, how the anointed one would come. What, what it would look like when the anointed one would come. I want you to see in Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, what the prophet said about the coming king, about the coming Messiah, the anointed one. In Isaiah 35, verse 4. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. In Mark... Chapter 2, the lame walk and Jesus forgives sin. In Mark chapter 7, the deaf and the mute man hear and speak. In Mark chapter 8, the blind see. Your God will come to save you, is what Isaiah says. He is Jesus the Christ, the Savior. Do you communicate these truths? Do you know how? I want to get better at it. I want to learn from Peter. Jesus is the way to have peace with God. He's Lord of all. He's also the Christ. Peter goes on to say that Jesus, he died and he, he rose again. You're like, Darren, of course he did. But you have to understand, Cornelius and friends are just like sitting. I'm sure, I'm sure I just, I picture them all sitting on the floor, just shoulder to shoulder, filling the house, big house. And they're just waiting. And they're just listening intently. You could hear a pin drop. And Peter's given the opportunity to share Jesus with them. And so as I read this story, I think, man, this, this is what I want to do with my friends. This is what I want to do with the people of this city. This is, this is our privilege to bring Christ to others. I want to become more familiar with this story. I, 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 I love this story. But I want us to become articulate in sharing this story. We're going to stumble on words, but can we just open the word and point people to the Jesus of the Bible? He says they killed him. No breath in his lungs. He died on the cross. He was under God's curse. They killed him, but God raised him from the dead. God caused him to be seen. I mean, we ate with him, he says. There was breath in his lungs and food in his stomach. We were eyewitnesses. You speak of his resurrection with no apologies. Peter then speaks of Jesus the way Jesus commanded him to. It's interesting in verses 42 and 43 that Peter speaks of Jesus as judge of the living and the dead. Jesus, our judge, is our only escape from judgment, but he provides forgiveness. He's the one the prophets testify about. Long before the apostles, long before the church, the apostles had been speaking of Jesus, prophesying of the one to come. All the prophets did it. They still do it today. What is your version of Jesus? Yeah, I was meeting with someone earlier to, uh, this week and, and they were presenting their version of Jesus and they say, hey, listen, everyone has a different version 
of Jesus. I was pushing back on that a little bit, like, okay, true, but what is, that might be true, but what is the Bible's version of Jesus, and how does that match up with yours, your version? I want to bring people to the Bible's version of Jesus. No favorites, no boundaries, and finally, no barriers. None, no barriers. Let's pick up in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, those who had been with Peter, uh, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. No barriers. Peter's conclusion is no one can stand in the way, not even him. No biases. So as Cornelius and friends listened, their hearts were open to grasp and believe Peter's message. And the way it happened caught Peter by surprise. It caught his friends by surprise. Mid-sentence, as Peter is proclaiming the Christ, the Holy Spirit falls on those who are listening. Now, repentance and belief are implied in this. Uh, Cornelius and friends had been hearing about Jesus, and they believed. And in that moment of belief, the Holy Spirit is poured out. Now, this should remind you of another pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Happened in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem, when they were waiting for the Spirit's presence. It happened in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. And now it's happening in Caesarea with Gentiles. Do you remember what Jesus said? You will... You know, you, the Spirit will be poured out. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Bring this gospel message. So should we expect hearts to be opened and to grasp the truth of Jesus as we're speaking it? Should we? We should. Will we be surprised when it happens sometimes, like Peter? Yep. We're going to be surprised. Author N.T. Wright, he says... Cornelius was like a kid pressing his face against the glass, like someone eagerly trying to see what's on the other side of the fence. But now he discovers the glass has been broken. The fence has been torn down and he's welcomed in. Think of that. You know, we have more in common with Cornelius than anyone else in this story. Why? We're, we're non-Jews. For the most, I think most of us, I mean, there might be a few who have some Jewish heritage. Jesus made a way for us. For us to have peace. He's broken the barrier. There are no barriers. So will we come alongside others and say, look at what God has done in Jesus. Do you see how he broke all barriers? Do you see how he fulfilled hopes and dreams of Israel's and how Jesus is actually God's answer to hurt and pain and brokenness and longing in our own hearts? That God has not left us alone, that he's provided a way for us to be at peace with him and that the story of jesus actually grows out of a bigger story one that's been shouting promises of forgiveness and hope for generations and now in jesus we we see how those promises have actually been answered are we ready to do that are we ready to come alongside others and lead them to the jesus of the bible the beauty and the reality of who he is no favorites no boundaries no barriers I have to read one more passage with you guys. 
Turn with me, please, to oh, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. And then we'll pray. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, non-Jews by birth, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by the body, or done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came. Jesus came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who are near. How sweet. We who were far away have received this message of peace. What do we do with this message of no favorites? What do we do with this message of of no boundaries and no barriers? I, I hope that you see the extent the far reach of God's love, that there is no boundary that has been drawn or that you could draw, that God can't break through, that there's no barrier, there's no one too far gone, there's no one in our life, presently or in the future, that is out of the reach of God's grace and love. I hope that gives you faith. I hope that stirs your heart. Let's pray. Father, will you crush partiality or bias on our part? Would you crush reservations and fears? Would you erase boundaries that we've set up? As if your mercy and love has any boundaries. Adjust our hearts, Lord, I pray, to match yours. Help us to reflect your boundless love towards others. Help us to see people as you see them. They are loved and in need of your gospel. Thank you for those who brought the truth of Jesus to us. Enable us to speak this truth with courage and boldness and love and humility. This message of peace and reconciliation with God. With you. And we thank you for the peace that we have in Christ. It's changed everything about us. Help us as a church now. Help us to be a people completely, completely obsessed with the reality of what you've accomplished in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.